Mary Lou Seavey is a master trainer of NLP and an NLP coach. She facilitates personal and professional change worldwide. She assists people from all walks of life with the interior design of their lives, redefining who they are and getting them on track and on purpose. Today, we'll ask about her history in the field of NLP and coaching and how NLP feeds and informs her coaching practice. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. So hello, Mary Lucivi. It is so nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast. My pleasure. For the people that don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about your background in the field of NLP? You are well known in the field of NLP. You traveled the world teaching this stuff. Been at it for as long as I have, I think, maybe at least, maybe more. Probably. So I took the second NLP coast uh, the NLP course on the East Coast, um, at least second that I know of. Uh-huh. Um, it was taught by um, Leslie. Uh, she was still Leslie Bandler at the time. Leslie and Bandler. David Gordon and Lynn Great. Conwell. And wow. it was in Massachusetts. And back then, the only way they could bring that course to the general public was not to the general public, but to people in the therapeutic communities, because it was licensed. Massachusetts had a licensing board that required you know, it'd be, a ther- be identified as a therapeutic training, and I didn't have the background. So I went to work for the company, and that's uh-huh. how I got to do the training. Uh-huh. And I had been a motivational speaker, and I knew that this was an extraordinarily important and missing piece in my personal development. Mm-hmm. And I have, was working on a one-size-fits-all model, and it didn't everyone including mm-hmm. myself so mm-hmm. I found my way into NLP when I think the only book printed was Frogs into Princes wow. and, and uh, immediately I found someone to assist me in understanding it working with me joined the organization in Massachusetts and never looked back and oh, how interesting is that so Wow, Leslie Cameron Bandler, David Gordon. Who was the third person? Um, uh, Lynn Conwell. I'm not. I'm not familiar with Lynn Conwell. Who's Who's that? She was in. They, David and Leslie had Michael LeBeau came on shortly after that, and uh-huh. they had uh, the Advanced Training Institute, and Lynn was one of their trainers. Okay. I, she's still around, still doing training. In she was connected with Brian Vanderhorst. Okay, so in, so, in Massachusetts. Huh? Yeah, yeah, they came, they would come up from California and do the class. And, you know, I was the one sitting in the back of the room registering people, soaking it all in. And that's great. All these therapists that knew everything. And, you know, NLP was to use on other people. Indeed. (laughs) So, yeah, I learned, I met, uh, I met Leslie Cameron Brown. I did a a weekend workshop with her in New York City many years ago. And David Gordon is just great. I love David. He's such a great brilliant. Yeah. Nice. Wow. Good for you. So that's the second one on the East Coast, as far as you know. What year was that? Can you do oh, mind? God, I, don't, I don't do time well. Um, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Yeah. So you, you beat me. That's great. That's great. 
Very cool. So then you've been, you've never looked back. And how did you start getting into training? You are now a master trainer of NLP. How long? Yeah, I am with the ANLP out of the UK. I'm certified Mm -hmm. through them. So I started working with, because I had been a trainer, I started working at the Mass Institute of NLP and they brought in Steve and Connie Andre, Ray Andreas, and they did the 15 day or 12 day submodality training. And that was what really finally hooked me. Connie Ray actually, when we were doing the processes, came and said to me, have you ever considered being an NLP trainer? Yeah. And up until that time, I hadn't. And that made me stop and think that I, I was good at the material. I knew that, but I hadn't made that leap because I was still involved with the prior organization I'd been training for. So time went on and the Leslie was no longer training and the people that were scheduled to do the training weren't, they didn't show up. And so the owner of the Institute, Stephen Joseph said to me, it's yours, you know, show up on Saturday and do the training. I was like, got thrown in the deep end and I could swim. (laughs) Cool. That's nice. And you you now are running an institute of your own in um, in uh, yeah we we operate we operate our home base is in North Carolina because we live here the since Boston we moved down here twenty years ago to get away from the weather which is now following us <laughs> um, and and we teach primarily in Dubai you know, we did classes in Boston for a number of years still do occasionally you know, North Carolina was not much of a um, a market. So we started classes. Coincidentally, someone invited us to Dubai um, within a very short period of time. The potential was so obvious there. And the people who had sponsored us were leaving Dubai. So we started our own business there. And that was, I think we established our license there about 15 years ago. So we've been teaching in Dubai for about 18 years. And up until COVID, we were going two or three times a year. Classes were not the largest in the city because there are there are a lot of you know happy happy clappy clappy NLP courses where you can become a master trainer in a couple of weekends yeah. and and there's a lot of people that want certification happy, they don't happy, you know they don't want the music pumping in the background the room fifty degrees you know, yes. people jumping oh, up and yeah. down and cathartic experiences and we're like I'm not there. Happy, so happy, yes, I've been to one or those or two or <laughs> you're great if that's what you're looking for. Exactly. But if you're looking for skill, they're not necessarily a, a, an opportunity for you to walk out and say, I can replicate this development or this process with another and facilitate it for them in a way that um, allows the uniqueness of who they are to be adapted through my understanding to get the results they want. And we merged NLP and coaching. Yeah, we merged NLP and coaching early on because that's what most of our people in Dubai that come to us are from the HR field. And so they, they want coaching and they want certification. We're ICF certified, both my husband and I and our training team, all PCC level, um, all doing actively in coaching. And, you know, it's just evolved to be the fundamental NLP is the fundamental element of effective coaching. As good as core competencies are with the added skill set of NLP, the power 
and the effectiveness and efficiency of assisting someone to create the change they're seeking, it's just exponential. Well, thank you for saying that because you've put into words what part of the purpose of this podcast is all about. Part of the reason I started this podcast is I was trained in coaching from Thomas Leonard, who sort of started the field. Um, But I was an NLP guy long before then, and I've been doing NLPs since then as well. And um, I've met a lot of coaches over the years, and and it, it just just bothered me. Like, how can you do coaching without NLP? It just didn't seem to be possible. (laughs) So I'm very curious. I want to hear from you. Um, ICF and you're a PCC, those of you who don't know what that means, it's a professional certified coach. Probably, maybe, maybe many people here do know what that means, but it is professional certified coach um, through the ICF, I believe. So how is that different? And how um, could a person do that without NLP? I mean, what do you think is an essential coaching skill that um, you've found? So, so the, there's a number of coaching models and I've done a number of coaching trainings and okay. ICF of course is an independent board and they set a list of core competencies and they have an ethics model that you have to pass an ethics test and you have to have uh-huh. so many hours of coaching before you can even apply for ACC or PCC or master um, coach. And, and that's all absolutely, I believe, fundamental in helping an individual who's choosing a coach recognize that this is a person who has been trained and has reached a certain level of competency and demonstrated it over time. So that's extremely valuable. However, generally in coaching, I have to be careful who I say this to, Coaches in the ICF and many models do not seek outcomes. They Mm -hmm. seek the opportunity to be the sounding board, the container for a client to explore and self-discover their way through the morass of life. From my experience and for many of the clients that I have, I'm very happy to take off my ICF hat and let clients know this is not your strict ICF model. Are you comfortable with exploring a model that might facilitate your moving to what you want in a different way? So what that does is it keeps the integrity of the ICF model in place and also allows me to use whatever skills I have. Now, in terms of NLP, what NLP adds to the traditional ICF coaching model, they're pretty much the gold standard in the field in terms of what is the minimum skill set that you need and how do you approach coaching and how do you contract, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What, what I perceive as an NLP trainer and coach and, NLP, and a coach trainer that NLP adds is the ability to see behind the story, mm-hmm. to hear the patterns, ask the questions that uncover for the client as well as for the coach the consistent behavioral representations of the limitations that brought someone to coaching, allow people to uh, gain a perspective through questioning that also moves them out of the narrative of the drama and gives them another view from, you know, what we would in NLP call meta or outside of another perspective, second person, third person, just even more spiritual view if that's what's required by the client. So the NLP pattern recognition of 
language patterns and behavioral patterns and emotional patterns um, help you as a coach, help me as a coach, understand how the narrative becomes the narrative, what are the beliefs that hold that client's narrative in place, and then how to linguistically ask the kinds and quality of questions that really get them to get them being the client to think differently. Mm-hmm. And when they think differently, they can find within themselves answers that I could give them, but then it's advice. Right. And coaches no. don't give advice. Right. Now, right. Right. do I give advice on occasion? but usually through a metaphor or, you know, this reminds me of a client that I had that had that. So there's lots of ways to open someone up, but ultimately it has to connect internally for for them from their internal point of reference. Beautiful. Wow. I'm thinking I'm just going to turn this podcast over to you from now on. It's just great. That's just brilliant. Um, Thank you so much. This, um, there are so many questions that, that, um, have popped up into my mind listening to you just now, but one, one was just that idea of giving advice or not giving advice. Um, why? Just for the, the benefit. I'm, I, mostly I, I don't really know who listens to this podcast. My belief is that it's designed for at least my avatar for the, the group that I'm you know talking to here in my living room is that they are co- coaches who are, who want to be better coaches, or they are people who want to become coaches in the first place. So they're not necessarily as expert as yourself, but they, they want to be that. So why wouldn't you give advice? What's, what's wrong with giving advice? And, and then you said there are a couple of ways you might do it in a metaphor. And then, or I had a client once who, you know, what's, what's the advantage of that latter way of doing it? So, so in terms of giving advice, um, I have a husband who I love dearly. We've been sure. together both in and on 50 years. Yeah. When he gives me advice, he's in deep trouble. <laughs> Because there's no part of me that wants to hear him fix it or give me advice. Now, he's also an NLP trained coach. You can usually look at my face and he can calibrate, whoops, this isn't working. Sometimes I have to go a little bit further and say, I'm shut up. If you want to, you know, if you want the relationship to continue, you need to stop now. Sometimes he stops, sometimes it keeps going. (laughs) But generally... What happens when people are given advice, it's from a, their perspective, which very often includes an, an understanding of what the dynamic is, but it's not coming from the person it's coming from outside. Mm-hmm. So it fits into more of the, you should do this, even if it's well presented, even if it's a gentle voice, you know, it seems to me that perhaps you can package it as nice as you want, but it still falls under the should. And nobody wants to be should on. So I got that from Leslie. Oh, it was really good. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, in NLP, we, in, in the, we, when we understand how language has an impact, the term or the, the concept of should or however, you know, or but those present in the individual an automatic reaction mm-hmm. based mostly on our history. As in, in, does everyone react the same way? Of course not. It's, it's consistent enough that a wise coach takes that out of their vocabulary right. and finds another way to present it. So it could be, you know, this reminds me very much, especially if the person does have an external reference, reminds me very much of a brilliant client I had who came to something quite similar, not the same, 
Because, you know, I mean, the sameness and difference. She wanted to cover both. Um, who came to a self-realization that was an epiphany that impacted so many areas of his life. So a nice setup. And then drop in what is blatantly obvious to everyone but the client. And generally, if they also have a strong self-sort, they say, well, you know, I was thinking of something like that. So they take ownership of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you can, it's pretty easy to understand by their response, whether or not it landed in a way that, you know, put a crack in the narrative of the story of them, if you want to call it a map of what's holding them in place. And that's all I think coaches really need to do for the most part is just crack the veneer that keeps people blind to their own possibilities. Hmm. That's a nice metaphor unto itself. So you, you used the example of, I had a client once who, how would you do it metaphorically? Um, I might tell them a story mm -hmm. about my cats. I have three, so I have a, and they are quite, quite creative and crafty. Might tell them, um, ask them if they'd seen a certain program on television or if they'd read a certain article. Uh, I might make the program or the article up and have enough of an isomorphic pattern that they can't identify exactly with it, but they can let their, but their unconscious can begin to resonate with the, with the theme of resolution that's in the story or in the article or in the TV or movie or whatever. So you would make up a television program? I would. Oh, God. But of course, it would have come from the 1950s when most of my clients have been, they weren't even born yet. I remember a TV show I once watched in 1957. Yeah, yeah there was this serial that was on. It might have been my mother watching a soap opera. But there was a really interesting part of it. But one of the characters was talking to another one of the characters who was referencing something that they had read. So you go far enough <laughs> down the rabbit hole and the client's caught, you know, we're on Zoom. I can tell and I, you know, their eyes are bugging out of their head. If their eyes have you know, dropped off and they're either in a trance or I've lost them completely. <laughs> so just, That's great. Just That's celebration. Nice. And the value of that is that they take ownership of it themselves. So it yeah. feels to them like I had this great idea. I know what I should do. And so yeah. then they, they do that. And, and one of the things that I've always felt is that a good coach will often not even get credit for what they did. Just, they, they will just sort of plant these little seeds. <laughs> that's, that's an important, I had a client this morning before I was speaking with you and we're on every week. And <laughs> she had said to me today, she said, you know, during the week, I just, I, I, I had this insight and honestly, Mary Lou, I don't know where it came from, but somewhere back in time, I must have read this and it's directly related to what we had talked about the week before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm biting my tongue because I want to say, we talked about that last week. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't do that as coach. You yeah. let people own it because yeah. that's when it becomes empowerment. It's from the self. Yeah. Yeah. I had a <laughs> kind of funny experience once when I, uh, I won't I'll try to keep this. Uh, as content free as possible. But I had a, a client once who was 30 pounds overweight or something. We did some work and over a period of time, I'd made some tapes for her and give her some, you know, directions and suggestions. And over a period of you know, several months, she lost the weight. And about that time, I was trying to do some other marketing. And so I asked her for a testimonial and she said, oh, I'm not really comfortable doing that. And I said, 
well, you don't have to use your name or anything. You can just put your initials. And she said, no, it's not that. It's just that it didn't work. <laughs> I said, what do you mean it didn't work? You lost 30 pounds. And she said, yeah, but I did that myself. I did that yeah. on my own. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I got that. Okay. You're yeah. right. Yeah, I got because we we go to Dubai twice a year, and there's a number, quite a period of time in between. And I would see clients when I was there, and then and I'd see them again. I mean, they come back to class, and they're all happy. And I'll say, "How is you know how is that work that we did? Did we work? Did we? Ah, we, They don't remember that you worked. Did did we did we do something together? And then like completely don't even remember it. Oh, I think you're putting in too deep of a trance there, Mary. I would go more for the happy, happy, clappy, clappy seminars. Yeah. Like because <laughs> then they know where it came from. So. Yeah. Wow. So when you go to Dubai, you said you're working with a lot of coaches. You're you're training people in coaching there in Dubai? Yeah. Our program is um, approved by ICF and it's an NLP practitioner training also. So it's oh. a combo class. And they get a uh, practitioner certification through ANLP out uh-huh. of the UK. And then they get, um, they're approved to take, to immediately join ICF because they've finished their coach training. It meets ICF approval. So, you know, we're approved coach specific training hours and they can go forward as far as they want. Nice. Very cool. And that's what, four days, five days? No. (laughs) 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 So how long are the sessions? Um, the in total, our program is about a hundred hours. Okay, nice. So yeah. some of it they do online. Some of it we have a lot of um, psychometrics that are now online. A lot of things that in NLP we have people sit down in class and you know like do the meta programs in on paper and figure out. Yeah, it's like everything's online now, and so they that gives us time. During the week, they go, they do those, then they come back, gives us more class time to explore and practice. Yeah, that's great. That's brilliant. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, back in the old days, uh, you, you were telling me that you did a like a 12-day submodality training with Connie Ray and Steve Andreas. Yeah. You remember that? <sighs> they did five of them. You what? They, did, they only did five. Oh, they I did five. I don't know why. Okay. Um, they only did well, five. Well, because they were 12 <laughs> days... That's why I know. <laughs> they had to come out to, I mean, we were in Boston at the time and they were still, they were back in Colorado. So that would be Connie Ray one class and then Steve another and then Connie Ray and then Steve. And it, it was great. I mean, by the time you were done with that, there was no such thing as a story or a narrative. There were just patterns. Wow. Oh, that's amazing to me. Cause um, I, I've obviously studied submodalities a lot, but I was I was teaching a, an online class recently where I was teaching the Connie Ray and Steve Andreas um, resolving grief pattern, yeah. and that's yeah. basically submodalities. And then we were also yeah. doing uh, the forgiveness pattern a few a month or yeah. so ago, and submodalities basically it's ba- they're basically the same pattern, but just yeah. you know different talking points about it. But it's it's shifting the submodalities. It's incredibly valuable ability to be able to do and i just can't imagine doing it for 12 days i mean good god it was a trip that was when <laughs> that was when the swish i remember steve andre is doing the swish as a demonstration and then we all had to go out and do the swish and 
And then, and then of course, years later, and Swish was incredibly powerful at, at, if you had the trigger. It was always like finding the trigger. Mm-hmm. And then um, years later, I did with Robert Dilton, Robert McDonald, the um, Healing the Wounded Heart. And then Robert's, um, that was his, no, Healing the Wounded Heart was his 15-day grief therapy NLP model. And then um, he brought in the auditory swish and the kinesthetic swish, which were, which were quite remarkable. And, and most people don't use them. No. I had an opportunity where my husband's son um, who had been adopted um, when his mother remarried, when my husband was very, very young and his son was in a rehab program and they'd been back in touch. And Jerry called me and said, you know, he can't smoke in this rehab program, but he's a chain smoker. Will you come? And I don't met the guy once Mm -hmm. and do uh, something with him, help him some way. Because he was too deep into the connection was too deep. Right. Okay. I kind of rolled my eyes and said, sure. And did I want to go? No. But did I go? Yes, of course. And, <laughs> and I remember doing the kinesthetic swish with him. And this is a guy who was a chain smoker, never smoked a cigarette again. Wow. About 10 minutes to do with a swish pattern. With a kinesthetic swish. The kinesthetic swish. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you just wow. kind of like roll the energy out of the body like you're. You can squeeze in a tube of toothpaste. It's a fabulous model. I've used it. I, I use it myself. It's just a great model. You, 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 you use NLP on yourself? Is that allowed? <laughs> Probably not. But, you know, I forgive myself because I know the forgiveness pattern too. <laughs> I've forgiven myself. That's funny. Oh God, it's so interesting to me. I, I once, uh, the reason I was kidding about that is I, I, knew, a fr- I, I knew a friend. <laughs> I had a friend once who um, was an NLP trainer. I think she may have even been a master trainer, but she was a very unhappy person. And, and, um, and it was a little painful to be around her because there was just so much stuff that was unresolved. And I thought, why don't you use this on yourself someday? Yeah. Hmm, what a concept. Yeah, interesting. It's kind of like NLP trainers at a meeting having rapport. <laughs> Do you know what the word means? <laughs> <laughs> I read about it. Yeah, I know what it means. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think it's really important to me, you know, trainers who don't actually do what they're doing um, are, are suspect. I, I, I've met many of them who are great trainers. They, yeah. they, they talk it well, but there's something about the fact that they don't actually ever work with people that makes me feel like, do you really know this stuff? You know, you, you talk about it, but can you do it? Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you there. I think it's the work with clients. It's the ongoing participation in personal as well as professional growth that makes it makes it such that congruence is natural. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem saying I haven't got a clue, no, but I'll go find out. Good for you. So if somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know. Somebody knows. Yeah. yeah. Good. I just say, well, I can make something up or I can get you facts. What do you want? You'd be <laughs> yeah. surprised how many times people say, make it up. Make it up. Yeah. I just need an answer now. That'd be fine. Yeah. Whatever, you, whatever you say would be good. <laughs> it probably would be pretty good. You know, if you made something yeah, up. Yeah, no. <laughs> Often it is. <laughs> based, based on your past. Um, that's really very, very, very interesting. So um, did you ever meet people like Erickson or did you go back that far? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, I didn't. I've worked with a lot of people, trained by a lot of people who worked with Erickson. Right. Yeah, but, me too. Yeah. I've seen Not pictures. Quite there. <laughs> yeah, me too. Watched, watched a lot of videos, but uh, yeah. yeah, I never met the man. Met his wife. I met his uh, daughter, Betty Alice. That was fun. Got to know her pretty well. So do you do Ericksonian hypnosis as well? Do, as, as I, I know, do. You, obviously you do, but um, tell, can you tell us a little bit about how you employ that with your coaching? I, I think in terms of um, utilizing hypnosis, if, if I'm engaged with a client and it's a deep level of engagement, it's hypnotic. Mm-hmm. In, in, if you think about taking hypnosis and NLP apart, I don't know how you do that. You know, when, you, when we would teach NLP and we'd say, there's a line on the floor, we're going to call it a timeline. And then you get somebody to step on that line. If they're not in trance, there's something else going on with them. You don't want them in the room. <laughs> well, if they're not in trance, then they're really in trance. Is what's yeah. Really yeah, that's on. for sure. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, you know, the, the voice is hypnotic and, and how you use the voice is a hugely important part of Ericksonian hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's not just the techniques, the, you know, the Milton model and being specifically vague and telling a story within a story within a story and knowing nested loops, but it's understanding what trance is like because A, you've experienced trance. And if you're taking someone in trance into a trance state, you darn well better be able to navigate trance yourself because mm-hmm. you're going to go into trance with them to a certain degree. Absolutely. You just have to be, no, I, I mean, Jerry would get me in trance. My husband would get me in trance every time he'd get me to go out in the boat because we sailed in New England and he liked high seas, and, you know, high winds. And you didn't. Still haven't learned to swim. So you know, <laughs> the fact that he got me on the boat was a pretty good level of trance. But I had to surrender to the fact that he knew what he was doing and he was the captain. So I could be a highly effective first mate and be comfortable following whatever the command or the direction was, and that's hypnosis. Yeah, definitely. And that's a great metaphor as well, isn't it? It is. First, he was the captain, you're the first mate. Mm-hmm. Yes, remember that in your marriages going forward. Every time he offers you this suggestion, Mary Lou, he's the right, captain. Right, right. Well, well, that was out on the sea, you know, and then here on land, it's a different story. <laughs> Forgot about it. <laughs> I'm the general. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Very different. Get on land. I'm the general. Buck off, buddy. That's great. Um, <laughs> so part of the podcast that I, I offer people is asking people what, you know, asking guests such as yourself, what do you feel is an essential coaching skill? Um, I also try to find out what do you think is essential for a person to be able to be successful as a coach, you know, to you know, go out there and say, hello, world, I'm a coach. Come work with me. How, how do people go about So that? needless to say, a skill set that you recognize, that you practice with, that you've gotten feedback, um, the ability to be flexible, to understand that every client's different. And just because something works with one client, it's not going to work with all of them. Um, but here's the interesting thing. I don't advertise. I've never advertised. Mm-hmm. So even with our business, we've never, I mean, we have a website, you know, it was put up about probably 15 years ago. It's just information dense. And people who come to our classes and my clients are, my clients are 100% referral. 100%. I hired someone to do marketing for me once. It was a disaster. I spent a lot of money, never even completed the whole 
protocol. And I know that is important for some people because I have exposure in the world uh, so that people recognize what I do and, and the value that I offer. But much of, you know, much of what my experiences with coaches who succeed coming through our program is they really work at developing self-awareness and the awareness of how people succeed as well as how they keep themselves from succeeding. So they okay. look for patterns and they, and they offer opportunity just in conversation for people to question possibilities that they may not have seen before. So for me, the best coaches have a referral base and not only do they get referrals from their base of clients, but if like I have a client recently who sent someone to me and there is no way that we were going to fit. He thought we were going to fit, but I knew we were not going to fit, but I could refer him to someone. Mm -hmm. So if someone has a, if you're a coach and you want to grow, then you have to be skillful, be flexible, um, know where your know the kind and quality of engagement you want with clients, and then put yourself out there in the places where those people engage. What do you mean by so that? So a coach, organizations, um, uh, opportunities to speak, volunteer. I used to do a lot of volunteer work. I would do volunteer work in the Boston City Schools. I would do volunteer work in the Framingham Women's Prison. I would do volunteer work in any place I could where I could give something. And I have a firm belief, and I'm sure this belief is hugely a factor in success in any area, that if I give, something somehow or another will return. I'll, I'll get a return on it. So the investment might not be in my bank account, but it might be in my time. It might not be in... Uh, you know, um, demanding that I'm paid for a presentation. If there's, an op, if there's an organization and they need a speaker or they need someone to help, I'll do it because I know that somebody in that audience probably needs to hear what I have to say. And they may know somebody who knows somebody who needs the kind of work that I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's this, are you familiar with the tuna fish sandwich exercise? Um, no. Oh, it's a great exercise. How's that go? So in the master's training, because I do master class for NLP also, to group people off into groups of maybe six or eight, depending on the size of the room, put four different corners of the room, big, big board and flipboard, and I give everybody a pen. And I say, okay, so here's the scenario. You've gone to a restaurant. It's a small bistro. And it's generally a, you know, organic food, and you've looked at the menu and you've looked around and seen that there's a board up there and you notice that they offer a tuna fish sandwich and you decide that you're going to have a tuna fish sandwich. The waitress comes over, she takes your order, she writes it down. Um, we're not talking about what you're having to drink. You're just going to have a tuna fish sandwich. Short while later, she comes back and there's this fabulous tuna fish sandwich presented there and it's you know, it's organic bread and it's fresh lettuce and it's, it's beautiful sandwich, it's got nice tomato on it. And you can even, you know, ask the kind of tomato it is and everything's really set up nicely. How many people were involved in getting you that tuna fish sandwich? People will come up with 10, 20, 40, 60, 80. It's in, it's in the hundreds, if not the thousands. Hmm. When you think about it. 
everything that's involved in getting that sandwich to your plate, to your mouth, the bread, the packaging, the delivery, the fishing, the boat that the fishermen went out on, the lines that were purchased, the pl- it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And the ones that get the most create a map, a mind map, and they organize it as a system. And when you begin to look at life as a system, that every aspect of what your experience is has an influence on every other aspect of your life. That's when you succeed. Mm. And when coaches recognize that, that how they treat the person at the grocery store, the bank teller, the one that's having the bad day, whether they smile and say hello, who they are and how they are, that's where your references come from. Hmm. It's amazing. That's great. All about connection. So to keep it very simple for somebody who is just starting out then, um, they might not feel like they have that much time to to build a kind of network with all those things out there to to start making money as a coach. Maybe they've taken the training. Maybe they've gotten certified from the ICF. Maybe they've taken an NLP training from yourself or some other uh, qualified place. They've spent their money. Right. And they are, they've quit their jobs. They're, they're no longer a secretary at the law firm or whatever. How do they, do they just volunteer and things? I mean, how did they get clients? So we, so the average is three years to build a, a, a coaching, a sustainable coaching business. That's the industry average. Mm-hmm. So we recommend people do not jettison your current income okay. in, in lieu of becoming an overnight coach. But in the meantime, Coach, and whenever you coach, even if it's the very first session you get, get paid. And people say, oh, like, I'm not good enough yet. Like, I can't. Like, you can have someone give you, buy you a cup of coffee. But the moment you give it away for free, you're already determining your value. Mm-hmm. So we had one guy took it. We did do classes in North Carolina. And this one guy, he wanted very much to leave what he was doing. He was an engineer. He wanted to be a coach. And he said, yeah, but you know, my community, they're really poor, you know, I belong to a a local church, I had all these excuses. I said, okay, what can you do? What will you do? And what can you do to get your first paying client? And he thought about it, he thought about it, he thought about it. And he said, it's not going to be a tuna fish sandwich. Came back the next session of the class and beaming from one ear to another. He said, I got paid a fried chicken dinner. (laughs) (laughs) He said, and that lovely lady sent me six of her friends. He said, so I topped off on the fried chicken and we went on to key lime pies. (laughs) He He said, and now they're paying me. All right. So it's probably been seven years. He now moved out to the Midwest. He is a coach. Is he the most lucrative coach in town? Probably not, but he is a full-time coach and he has built a referral business based on his willingness to start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't start, it's not going to happen. There's going to be someone somewhere where you see a need that your skill can fulfill. So if you are standing in a supermarket and you hear a mother you know, barking at her kid, and you're standing in line and you say to her, you know what? If you've got time for a cup of coffee, I'd love to sit with you and ask you a few questions that might help you handle that little monster. <laughs> Great. 
So instead of making her wrong for barking at the kids, you say, I can help you handle that little monster. So you've got the rapport thing. You're on the same page with her. You're seeing eye to eye. Um, she says, wow. All right. Yeah, sure. A cup of coffee. I can do that. Nice. Beautiful. And that's a very Ericksonian sounding story, if you don't mind me saying so. I think Milton would be proud. Thanks, Milton. <laughs> Couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> and I, it's also very interesting to me that um, you, your first trainer, uh, if you will, was uh, Leslie Cameron Bandler and David Gordon, those, those folks, because you remind me of Leslie Cameron Bandler. Um, the, the training that it, yeah, well, I'm glad you took that as a compliment. It's meant this way. Um, but yeah, the first, the training I took with her all those years ago, I was like, wow, this woman is a powerful woman. My goodness gracious. But she had a, a sort of style about her that you seem to have as well. Um, I'm not sh- sure if it's, I'm imagining that, just knowing that you came from that background or not, but it's, I, I see it and I hear it. Well, I think modeling is, I've modeled so many brilliant trainers that, and I really do believe that I've been blessed that a lot of the people out there that are training now as good as they are and as, as unique as their style is, they haven't had the opportunity that someone like yourself or myself have to mm-hmm. be with and model people who are remarkable in what they do. Model consciously or mostly otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Remember Eric Oliver once saying to me, he's like, you studied with Bandler, didn't you? You're like, how do you know that? I said, I can tell. <laughs> you know, he's the one that I never studied with. Yeah. Never, never been in the room with Bandler. You don't, you've never been in the room with Bandler. Oh my God. Never been in the room with I've never Bandler. been in the room with Grinder. You know, it's really interesting how in, I think, it, and I've watched and listened to it, and I think it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, me too. But yeah. I also think his approach is not compatible with who I am. Mm-hmm. And so because I model so naturally, I think it was wise to stay away. I think Leslie Probably Cameron would agree married. with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Leslie would be right on that same page. Stay away from Richard. Um, <laughs> that's, that's very funny. But, but, had you, but you've studied with Grinder, is that true? For probably would be fair to say I've studied with him. I was in the room where he was there. So okay, good. not good. in a way that I really got any, but again, you know, that we're so fortunate in that we had back in the day, so many of his tapes because he put out some phenomenal tapes. Yeah. I've, I've gone through a lot of those for sure. Yeah. Richard's I still too. have the cassettes. <laughs> Just don't have a tape player, but I still have the cassettes. <laughs> I just actually got a, a set. I won't say this out loud. I just am. <laughs> they're not tapes, but they're they are they were once tapes. Now they are yeah. MP3s. But yeah, a very interesting thing. Have you did you ever studied um, modeling with David Gordon? Do you know his way of doing modeling? Yes, we brought when I had a, a business up in Boston. I brought David in to do his class shortly after he published the book with Graham. Yeah, that's brilliant stuff. Yeah. I think that's just for my money. I didn't know how to do any modeling until that book came yeah. out. It's like, okay, now I see. <laughs> that, was, that was great. David's such a wonderful trainer. Have you met Graham Dawes? I never met him. No, I haven't. Yeah. Did, I don't even, did he do trainings? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea actually. Good question. Well, gosh, we're just about out of time. I just am so grateful for you to take this time and do this. And probably, you know, being that you 
give so many uh, talks at various places and things. I, I suspect some people might want to get hold of you to have a cup of coffee or something here. Mary Lou, how would people get hold of you if they wanted to do so? Uh, probably the easiest way to get to me is through the website. And Which is? Info at mindbridgetraining.com. Okay, so that'd be a, uh, to email you at info at mindbridgetraining.com. Mindbridge mm-hmm. or uh, there's a phone number on the website that okay. you can call and it'll go to a voicemail and then I'll pick it up and probably call back. Okay, good. So getting back for a moment to um, to people who, who want to be trainers, want to be uh, uh, coaches, should they have a website so they can say, just look at me on the website, Google my name. I think it's useful in today's market to mm-hmm. have some sort of a website. I also believe that and we do encourage people to join um, organizations such as Association of Coaching if they're in the UK or mm-hmm. in Europe, ICF, um, and uh, anywhere in the world, and um, um, ANLP. I'm, you know, I'm the ambassador for ANLP for the UAE. My husband is for the US, and I absolutely think that is one of the best NLP organizations that exist. They, they're, they're resources for for NLP. Um, students and NLP practitioners is it's brilliant. Cool. And the membership is well worth the money spent. Nice. In fact, they have their annual, um, well, their, the convention, which used to be live in London, which I love um, is went virtual a couple of years ago, thanks to COVID it's virtual again this year. And this year they're doing quite a number of additional free presentations leading up to the convention. And I've got one on March 8th, which is International Women's Day. And it's with a group of seven, uh, well, the seven of us all together, six other women. They're all based in Dubai, but they're from all over the world. And we're an international group of women who found that when we came together to support one another during COVID with everything that was happening in our lives mm-hmm. and using the NLP and coaching models, that what, what we discovered was that each of us had an element of the monomyth that um, uh, Joseph Campbell called the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. So we called it the heroine's journey. Oh, nice. And we put it together and packaged it as the seven steps of this monomyth that are strategies that you can move, any woman can move through to create empowered transformational change in their life. And the ANLP group is sponsoring it and it's free. Great. Free is good. So that's, um, how will people find out about that? Did they go to ANLP.com or what is the? Yeah, they can go to ANLP.com. No, it's .org. Okay. Um, And look up the NLP um, International Conference. Okay, great. I'll reach out to me and I can send them a link. Okay, fantastic. Great. Wow, that's fantastic. That sounds like a really cool workshop. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for asking me to be here. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Appreciate every moment. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Central Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks. Thanks.